Hi, I'm Shreen Patek, and you're listening to Making Marketing by Digiday. Every week, I talk to marketing leaders who are changing the industry one decision at a time, be it taking a product into mainstream marketing, expanding the target audience, or figuring out relationships with influencers. There's a lot to unpack. And joining me this week is Carrie Cooper, president and COO at Rothy's, a direct-to-consumer women's shoewear brand. Perhaps you heard about Rothy's the day Meghan Markle wore them, or maybe it's through one of the many Instagram ads that populate your feed. Rothy's is one of the biggest stories in the DTC wave. I talked to Carrie about what it's like to respond to a surge in demand due to popularity, whether Instagram is about to reach a DTC tipping point, and how these brands need to start balancing healthy growth with outsized marketing costs. After all, the investors are going to start demanding some returns. I hope you enjoy the episode. Big news because I wanted to start with talking about Meghan Markle, um, and I figured we should just get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. How does it feel, and what has been the impact alone of you know having a pretty well-known person kind of wear wear your shoes? And also, I think that it's telling us a lot about how marketing for a brand like yourselves really works. Um, so, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what's going on. So when she wore the shoes the day of her pregnancy announcement, I don't think any of us could have been happier. We're like, are you kidding? That day too, which is, you know, it was a nice combination. Um, and I actually happened to be in Shanghai at the time. So we were sort of on local time with Australia and I was like, oh, here's, you know, he- this amazing view. And it's, I think I've learned a few things. One is there's a whole world of Instagram followers that follow everything she wears. They tag everything, they know everything. So I actually found out about it through Instagram, not like through anything else, um, which is a whole, like I, I'm fascinated by these people who follow everything she wears. It's, um, she has such incredible style too. I mean, she just does like, everything she wears is beautiful. And then the sort of speculation of seeing the bump, um, is fascinating for our business traffic. Um, we, you know, you can't ask for a better way of having people to be introduced to the brand to like go check out what, you know, what it is that she was looking at. Um, so our traffic was 4X normal um, and direct traffic too. So people mm. typing in rothys.com instead of, you know, other channels to get there. Um, from a sales perspective, she wore the Black Point, which is our most popular shoe, which is good because that's one that we carry heavier inventory on. Um, so that was good. That was a like, oh, wow, this is, you know, couldn't have been better if she had worn one of our, you know, sort of more fashion color shoes. It might have been a little harder to chase into the volume um, sales on the black and black. Actually, both black point and black flat, the round toed shoe, um, two to three X normal. So you bring up an interesting point, which is Instagram. And I think that, you know, you're obviously riding this direct to consumer revolution wave, whatever you want to call it, that I think in some ways is sort of upending retail in general. And I think that I want to get deep into what that really means and how what's that what that is meant for Rothy's. But before that, I think Instagram has been, at least to me, sort of in some ways the driver of so much of this. Like I look at a lot of these brands and it feels almost that they were it feels like they were born on Instagram. And I know this is something that people have said about your shoes many, many times. It's sort of the most Instagrammable shoe. Oh, we tried on those shoes you're seeing on Instagram. Talk to me about Instagram as the driver of a brand and of your brand in a way mm-hmm. and how that where that started and sort of where it is right now. Instagram is amazing. It is um, it is a it's so visual that you're right. Like it's it's fun to play with. How do you catch someone's eye as they're scrolling through? And I'm thankful I have a product that's easy to you know easy to photograph and to share. It's harder if it were makeup or if it were you know a body wash or something that you would never be able to see in sure. the same way. So we but have you've an also advantage. Designed your product in a way to make it visually appealing. Yeah, we've designed our product for your foot, but but it happens to also be Instagrammable. Um, And then I think Instagram, 
You know, in a lot of ways, it's sort of a more modern medium of a, of a print ad. So we do, we, we are good at targeting who, you know, once somebody's bought one shoe, like, you know, who looks like her and how do I go find more of her? Um, on Instagram? We, on Instagram. And we can stalk you. I mean, like, I think some people like will laugh about like, oh my gosh, like I visited your site once and now you're stalking me. But the reality is if I keep showing you like, hey, there's this and like it just sort of builds and piques your interest as a consumer. Right. So I love the, you know, my ads on Instagram. I think they've I, most of the companies that are advertising there have done this nice job of making you curious. Right. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go buy now necessarily, although Instagram's working very hard on pushing that, too. But, oh, that's interesting. So then when you see somebody wearing it live, then you can ask questions. Right. So I think a lot of us get stopped on the street and asked, like, oh, are they as comfortable as people say they are? You know, I, you know, are those Rothy's because people are curious. And I think if you combine the fact that our shoe is made from recycled plastic water bottles, people, I think, have some view of, like, it's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah, like, it, just this idea yeah. of kind of, oh, this, this water bottle. Yeah. And so then when you see it in real life, right, we're like, IRL, like, oh, wait a minute. That's the one I've seen. So I think there's this interesting view of, like, how brands could play from an advertising perspective and thinking differently about, like, and I know who's seen it, right? So I know, you know, you can, on Instagram, you can get down to, like, how many times are you touching somebody versus a print ad where you may say, I don't know, it had a circulation of sure. X million, but I don't know how many people actually either received it, got to that page, whatever, it's on page 46. Did they get to page 46 or did they actually, did they flip well, through we it? We have no idea. We have no idea, but I know. But at the same time, Instagram also, then I think there is sort of the flip side, and that's a great, that's a great point. But the flip side to that argument, right, is that, okay, well, at least I know that there were only X number of advertisers there. So I right. know that in that, at least I was one of 10, one of 20. One thing that I found really fascinating about Instagram and in some way, maybe Facebook too here, especially as kind of direct to consumer brands like yourselves grow and keep growing and know that that is a channel for them. It's just how crowded it's gotten. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a time I think I probably only saw Rothy's ads. I think there was, there was <laughs> we a were good early. nice job at <laughs> the targeting. But, um, but now it's, I mean, every second thing is an ad. It's every true. second thing is not just an ad. It's an ad probably for a direct to consumer brand, probably aimed at young woman, you know, of of a certain sort of age, of a certain demographic. And a lot of them happen to be for similar product categories. Mm -hmm. Is there a concern, you know, not just from your position at Rothy's, but just about DTC brands in general, that things are getting pretty packed and everyone's cottoned on that Instagram's going to be great for mm -hmm. our brand? Yeah, I think, yeah, something we, you know, we all worry about, right? So whether it was the Facebook um, kind of privacy things where people started pulling back from Facebook, it's like, oh no, what's going to happen to the business if Facebook's a large driver? Our largest source of traffic is still word of mouth. And I think fundamentally, you know, healthy brands are built by a product people want to talk about. Um, and so channels like Instagram or Facebook sup support that and supplement that. Um, I do think it is it is interesting there. I, I see more traditional brands now on Instagram and they're repurposing print ads or other things like I don't think that like, yeah, there's there's sort of a formula of like how do you show a product in the right way that like I think when you know your customer and you're I don't spend any time worrying about um, other kinds of forms of marketing like yeah, we've got we've got such a simple way of thinking about how do we shoot our product that makes it easy for a customer to find and and decide whether it's the right one for her so I think there's probably a little bit of that and the people you know we'll all get better at do you know better and better at what is that thing that gets you to stop um and I think, you know, at some point, the incremental cost of that next customer can, you know, that's, it's a worry, right? Of like, okay, so if the next cost turns out, to, you know, your, your cost to acquire a customer keeps going up, it's a worry. And it is going up, right? Uh, we actually managed to hold ours pretty flat. Hmm. Um, Overall in the industry, 
definitely oh, I I've overall heard in the industry I've heard that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And probably a function of good how, simply how many brands there are right exactly. now. Exactly. Um, you mentioned word of mouth. That's interesting. Uh, tell me a little bit about that and also then how do you track something like that? It's really hard to track word of mouth. I mean, that's like it, um, at the there's at the end of checkout, we'll ask you, how'd you hear about us? And that is where, you know, my mom, my aunt, my you know colleague, whatever it might be. You know, one of the things we see is in offices, like, a woman will wear it, and then like the, her friends will see it. It, it. it is a very natural kind of like, ooh, that's curious. My friend who works at Stitch Fix um, told me we we're six for six in the elevator um, last week. She's like, you know, always looking at the ground. Goes in the ground in the elevator. You're looking at the ground. She's like, oh, you guys are six for six this week or today. Um, and I think there's sort of that natural like is you, you see more people wearing it. Our brand tends to do better in high transit locations, so New York, D.C., Boston, San Francisco, where people are walking around, where people are walking around. Also, where people might be more comfortable with right. e-commerce, potentially? Well, or they might be looking for a comfortable shoe to commute in because she knows she has to walk, right? So if you, you know, I think L.A., for example, is also equally e-commerce friendly. True. Um, you're not and seeing... we don't tend to be, the, 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 you know, sales to population isn't as big in L.A. As it is I think here. it's partially like, you know, I have to... I talked to a banker the other day who's like, I run like half a mile from the, from the, which I'm not quite sure why she does that, but from the train station, she's like, and I love my loafer. It's the greatest shoe, right? There's a whole piece of commuting that really like, I don't need, you know, you see the shoe shuffle, right? That like, I wear a comfortable shoe. Like, and it used to be a sneaker, right? Of like an ugly sneaker that then you get to the office and you put on your heel. Like you don't have to with Rothy's. You have this ability to be like, okay, I could look, I could look cute and still run in them. I mean, I wouldn't suggest running them, but, um, but it is a, you know, it's such a comfortable shoe. So I think that's the other piece that ties in. And then you get word of mouth where you get stopped on the subway with someone saying, oh, are those Rothy's? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about physical stores and sort of how that's played a part in your evolution. Um, I, I do the the it's like everything old is new again in marketing. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed? It's like <laughs> it's the thing I keep you know that I probably wrote about like ten years ago. It's coming back. Oh, physical stores are out. Physical stores are back. Physical stores are out. They're back. Right. Um, but I but the interesting thing now is how sort of digitally native brands or brands that were born online are now very interested in physical retail. Um, tell us about your journey in sort of physical and how that's played out. So we opened our first store and our only store in San Francisco in May of 20, this year, 2018. Um, it's too tiny. It's, it's, um, it was an old cobbler store. So a man named Ed ran the store for 50 years. And so when it came open, Roth and Steven saw it and they were like, we need that store. So we restored the sign. Like we just loved the heritage of this, you know, it, we're a little bit off kind of the core beaten path and on the Fillmore, in the Fillmore shopping area. And we kind of like that. And we've built a beautiful store. It is. Um, it paid for itself very quickly. Okay. We're finding like 60% of the customers that are visiting the store in San Francisco are still new to the brand. Even though we kind of think in San Francisco, well, everybody's heard of Rothy's. It is, I think, A, there's a customer that wants to see and try it on. So whether it's a Warby Parker glass, it, glasses that she wants to try on or whether it's a Rothy's shoe. So was she- that something that, I mean, that customers were... Asking for, was that something that you noticed as sort of a gap in your overall strategy? That, okay, you've got this, 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 but we still don't have a place where people can touch the shoe, feel the shoe, do whatever they want to it, try it on. Um, was there was that the reason to start the store itself? Or was it more kind of a branding exercise that, hey, we it's nice to have a store. There's, there's always, it's, yeah. it's kind of like print for publishing, right? It's always nice to have a magazine. It's not, it, it is about letting somebody try it on and touch and feel. And it's about that experience. And I think that customers, you know, even though we have free shipping, free returns, it's a hassle, right? Like people think like, you know, and it's nice to go try it on. And especially on a shoe like Rothy's where the fit is, kind of conforms to your foot. Like, you know, an eight is not an eight. Some people are like, well, I have to size up or I size down. So trying it on helps. 
Um, I think for us as a brand, we learn by like actually talking to customers. It's really fun to work in the store and have, you know, see what people think about, what they learn about when they come in, what's interesting to them. As I mentioned, like black is our bestseller online. And we just actually pulled it out of the store in a couple of the silhouettes because when you come in, you actually see marigold on your foot and you think, I would never wear yellow. Like my coloring is a disaster, but on your foot, that pop of color is fun. So there's things like that that we're learning by having a store also of like, how do we then think about how do we style it differently? So make you more comfortable as you're shopping online. And then frankly, like it's just a fun, you know, it's a fun exercise to like see and hear from women. We do store exclusives um, occasionally, like kind of maybe, I don't I don't know what the frequency is, where we're embroidering hard SF on the side, or we're we're, we're making them San Francisco exclusives, and um, there's lines like people are like waiting, like okay, can I get that store? So there's the fun places that you can play with what physical retail should be, also of like how do you make it a special experience? How is DTC transforming kind of the idea of retail then, just in general, on the thirty thousand foot level? Because you are seeing a resurgence of physical retail, but it looks very different. It, looks, it does look different. It's not the same. I mean, I think that, and you're seeing it with something as simple as kind of how real estate is is even rented and there's more pop-ups than there are, um, you know, big long-term leases. There's more sort of tiny stores like yours. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's only one of them and there's sort of a chain opening. Um, how has DTC transformed the idea of physical retail right now? I think in general, one of the advantages of building a direct consumer brand is you know your customer, right? You know who she is, where she's buying, what zip codes are interesting. So I can be much more targeted as I think about what, what would be an interesting location for us to build a store, which didn't exist before. And then as you think about reaching out to your customer and understanding who she is and how do you serve her, in the case of us, her, well, um, you know, we can we can think what are the great things that work online and bring them to the store. I think um, I'm not interested in flagship stores that are like odes to brands. And I think that's probably something that may have changed. Like if you look at some of the stores even here in New York that are they're really large stores and <laughs> you have to fill those stores and you have to staff those stores there. Um, it's it's less it's more about the brand and less about the customer experience. And the idea of DTC was that th- things would cost less in some way because you were cutting out the middleman. I mean, that was the right. idea of... Well, yeah, versus a department store where I think, like, you can't tell your brand story at all if you are within a department store. Um, it's hard. It's hard. You know, you, if we were on a shoe floor, like, what's the difference between this and that? Like, I like the ability to be able to tell the brand story, to be able to feel the yarns that we make our, our product from, to be able to touch and feel and try on with our employees helping to service instead of having it be a third party. I think that's one of the risks for wholesale in general for a direct-to-consumer brand is how do you make sure your brand stays healthy. Do you think kind of the idea of a of this like legacy flagship is on its way out? I don't think, I still see, I, you know, it's interesting. Like I still see, um, you know, there was a large DTC brand that said they're going to open 200 stores, which is a pretty massive store growth. Um I think, you know, I see other DTC brands with 10, 12,000 square foot stores that Everyone are Everyone points building. to Warby Parker, right? <laughs> right. Well, if they did it, exactly. we'll Exactly. We'll, we'll follow Warby. And I think Warby works really well because it's, you know, they don't have much storage, really small space, like easy, you know, easy to try on, does matter on trying things on. Um, I think in a probably unique way. Glossy has done an amazing job, I think, of building a store experience where, you know, it's about trying and testing the product and then thinking differently about how do you check somebody out. Like they, they've done, like I think a lot of cases we're rethinking what is that process of how one shops and how do you explore a brand. I think the Bonobos model of getting the right, you know, I want to try the right size on, then I'll just ship it to my house is an interesting one. It's not one that we want to do. I think we should always have inventory. I think that a woman wants to walk out. Maybe women and men shop differently, but she wants to walk out wearing the shoe and, you know, a third of our customers in our store walk out wearing them. Um, 
but we can't carry everything either, right? So part of it is like, how do you introduce somebody to the brand, get them to try it on, get them a chance to see what there is, and then make it really easy for her to buy. I want to take a quick break here to tell you all about Digiday Live, our podcast that features the best sessions from our many summits from around the world. For example, Digiday Live recently featured a talk from our recent publishing summit in Barcelona that was given by Jean-Christophe DeMarta, SVP of Global Advertising at the New York Times. He discussed how the Times is measuring emotional connections to ads with something it calls Project Feels. Check out the podcast on whatever platform you use to get podcasts. Now back to the episode. You kind of you mentioned these like three brands that I think um, any of us mention when we say like, oh, DTC successes with physical retail. Right? You've got Glossier, you've got Bonobos, and you've got Warby Parker. Um, and yes, they've done it. But going mm. back to what we were just talking about, I mean, nine out of ten brands aren't aren't any of these three, right? right? And I think that a lot there is there does feel a little bit of this like gold rush right now in this space on everyone's seen these like successful models. Some are the ginormous ones like Warby Parker, which have now been around for years. Um, there are newer ones that are doing really, really well. But at the end of the day, I mean, th- this is kind of survival of the fittest. This this kind of growth, can it continue or is this a bubble in general and in, in digitally native brands that are just cropping up everywhere? And frankly, a lot of them are starting to look the same. Yeah, I think I think that's a challenge for all of us to think about of how do you make it feel like it should belong there in the in the neighborhood. I also think there's likely limited numbers of stores. Like I don't think we're ever going to be a thousand store chain, right? Like, you know, as I think about what it takes to do it well, like it's probably probably aren't going to be in the thousands on stores. Because um, of who you are as a brand or because that's just something where you don't see kind of the growth path for you? I just don't think that's the growth path. I can imagine fives and tens. Because I do think there are places where we would be better off. Like I need, we need a store in New York. Um, you know, we I'd love it. Yeah, we need maybe two or three, maybe five, but probably not more than that. Probably not. You know, like you can imagine, like by neighborhoods, right? There's certain like okay, there's one here and one here, and but at some point you hit a limit, and I think that's the risk that if you have investors that are expecting you're going to maintain that kind of growth rate, I think that's we've been very conservative and thoughtful about how do we want to grow. Um, I've got enough demand online right now that like retail is interesting and will add and enhance, but we'll be in fives and tens, not in, not in thousands. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of marketing. Um, mm-hmm. you mentioned word of mouth, really big for you. We covered that. Um, Instagram obviously is the place I still see you the most often, mm-hmm. um, at least personally. That's probably where you're spending the most time. Too. <laughs> yes. Sadly, my screen time app on my phone <laughs> shows me that that is true, but we won't talk about my addiction to Instagram on this podcast. Um, what else? What else is top of mind when it comes to where you spend your marketing dollars? You know, I think um, one of the interesting changes that you also see like retail is how do you think about TV? So it's something we're considering um, as you think about are there places, you know, that's TV has changed really quickly. Um, you can target a very different way than you used to be able to target, right? Like, you know, if you wanted to buy The Bachelorette. It's expensive and it, you know, and it's probably the one like kind of appointment TV where like, okay, nobody's going to fast forward through the ads because they want to watch it as it happens. And that's the equivalent of maybe the Super Bowl or or, sort of whatever, some large men's sports thing. Um, And so there are those areas where like, I I think we need to be bigger to make make that kind of investment. But yeah, I think TV is interesting. It's a great way to do brand storytelling. I think one of the issues when you've got like just, you know, I've got three inches on, on Instagram or maybe it's whatever. I don't know what the exact dimensions are of an ad, but they're tiny. Um, TV gives you a chance to brand storytell and like think about you know how do I bring to life like who our woman is and what's important and what's important about our shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, the tracking so, isn't going to be as good. It's not as good, but you know, I think it's actually better than you think it is. Um, 
you can um, you can buy and target. We, all of us are on cable boxes that we know who you are. Um, it's it is a funny world. If things have changed very quickly, um, you know, over the top TV where people are watching on their Roku or on their PlayStation or on um, you know Apple TV or Amazon. Well, there is a DTC wave there. Yeah. you know, people are kind of looking at yeah. TV itself very differently. I think so that'll I've, be. I think that'll be. That's my prediction. This is the coming path of like you know. I saw an Allbirds ad the other day. I think you know you watch the. I watched um, HGTV, like I just had it on the background when I was cleaning out my room sure, the other day. Sure. And it's just the whole, it's a constant, right. like, here's Brooklyn and here. It was just this, like, it's, it is interesting to watch. There's a whole view, I think. So I think we'll play with TV. Subways? Subways Somehow I love. Subways. You know, it's funny. Hymns had the most beautiful subway. Like, I love their ads. They're, their ads are so beautiful. And, like, the way they've played with Cactus and, like, talking. But Hymns had taken over the subways last I was here. You know, I always, I love the subways. Like, they're they're fun. Like The subways are the, the place for, for some reason. This yeah. I have not figured out why. And we've written a lot of stories kind of trying to understand right. why Casper, Brooklyn, and right. um, Brooklyn and is all, still all over. Still all over the subways. <laughs> uh Actually, though, why? I want your guess. Why are subways such a... Because, again, you really can't track those. And yes, you could do a promo code, but, I mean, is that really... For for brands that are so sophisticated because mm-hmm. of the way they began and they're digitally native and they've got, you know, they've cut out the middleman and they've made everything down to this fine science, it just feels very funny to me that then in this one place, it's like, yeah, we'll try it and see. I actually think you can... You're right. You can't track... You could track by Metro. You can't track... You know, like, is it is it the A line or the C line that's going to be the better one? Um, but you got a captive audience because you're just sitting there, right? You're, or standing, but you're, you're you're stuck looking, right? So you're there. Um, we just played in Chicago with playing with out of home. We didn't do we did all the bike um, share locations and we um, you know some billboards and you know in Bucktown. I can measure generally like what is a lift of Chicago, um, and so I think I think you could I think you can be more sophisticated than just saying I'm gonna I'm gonna blanket everything I'm gonna go buy a Super Bowl ad like I think some of those are maybe old school ways of thinking about like just blanketing your name and frankly like a lot of us just don't have that kind of money to spend on those kinds of ads. I was about to say yeah. a Super Bowl, yeah. no, interesting. No, no. And no. Um, but I do think it is. I, I do think we can track. Like I can see what kind of lift the market gets, right? And the question is like how long and how do you want to measure it? How like you know, if I see a lift in Chicago, like how long does that last? And but it's a, yet another way of like, oh, I'm familiar with the brand. Like then it sparks your, you know, spark, it sparks the like, oh, let me ask my friend about it when I see her wearing them. Um, podcasting is another place. Mm-hmm. You know, lo- we've seen a lot of action for whatever you want to call them, DTC, digitally native brands. Um, any interest there? Have you done, done any some. of that? Mm-hmm. How's they've that done, gone? They've gone well. They are. Um, you know, we, we're limited. We want it to be a female speaker because it doesn't really make sense for a guy to be talking about it. And a lot of the podcast hosts are male. But um, we've had some great successes. There are, um, I love podcasts. Like, and I think you could, the authenticity of somebody talking about what they love about the shoe really, really does change. I think it does, it feels less like an ad. I, you know, I listen to all of the big national ones as well. And those, I think, feel a little bit less authentic because they aren't necessarily host read in the same way. But they're still, you know, I think... Um, Everlane was on the daily this week, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly, like there's an exp- a view of like how do I build my brand? How do I get it out in front of the New York Times listener um, that their betting is going to pay back? And I, I probably is a smart bet. Any marketing channels that sort of tried but not for you? We haven't done print. I don't know how I think about print because um, that one is really hard to measure. Um, and you, but you are seeing that there is there's significantly more. You know, digital brands, DTC right. brands in print now. It's true. We we haven't spent money there yet. Um, I think um, some of the experiential pop up type marketing 
it's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard to really measure. Like it's hard to actually serve anybody well. Like you, you, by definition, you have a really limited period of time and a lot of work to make that period of time happen. And you can only touch so many people. You don't buy the, okay, this will get Instagrammed a million times and therefore it'll have big reach. And that's what I keep hearing from everyone who spent what seems like millions of dollars on creating giant experiences. Yeah, Amazon just did something, I think, this weekend. They and, have the millions to spend. Yeah, to in spare, England. Yeah, and, just and, pocket but change. the reality, I think, this, that... Um, is they probably got a boost to their stock price for it, right? So maybe that like that's clearly not you know not something we would look at. For me, I don't think the juice is worth a squeeze. Like I just don't think we're going to get there on doing pop ups well because I want that brand experience to be wowing, and I think it's really hard to do that. There are other brands like MM Lafleur. I appreciate the way she's built that brand and thinking about how do I get you to try the clothes on, and it's less about the like you could do it in a hotel conference room. Like you could you could do short term pop ups and really introduce somebody to a brand um, if that's sort of the target market you want to you want to face or want to want to um, go after. And so I appreciate what she's doing as, as the way that they've built out MM Lafleur. I think very smart in thinking about those pop ups, but mm-hmm. it's just not something we'll probably explore. Yeah. One thing we've been thinking about just kind of going to next year and this, you know, direct to consumer wave has been sort of is next year the year kind of that DTC stops being this like thing on the side and becomes mm-hmm. the mainstream that mm-hmm. DTC brands are now already adopting strategies that feel quote unquote mainstream, whether it's thinking about TV or doing physical retail. Um, do you think that's something that sort of you think will happen next year or what will happen next year as this kind of market keeps evolving? Because it doesn't feel young anymore. There's a mature yeah. market. I think it's an interesting question. I think it's easy. Not, it's not easy. The first like 30 million, right? Of like, how do you build a company from zero to 30 has been made much easier by technology, right? So you have Shopify, you have three PLs, like you have Instagram, like it's not. Well, it's there's a, an ecosystem now. There's that an ecosystem. Can help you do like it. when I was, when I was building ModCloth, like we built everything by hand because it didn't exist, right? So a different investment level required to build today than it did then. I think the challenge for all of us is how do you get past a hundred million? Like, okay, so what does a billion dollar DTC brand look like? And I think Warby is probably the furthest along maybe in that one of like, you know, how close can you get? Um, For a lot of them, and almost to me, though, sorry to interrupt, feels like, well, when can we get to profitability? And you've got billion dollar, sure, companies, maybe not billion, but hundred million dollar companies who seems to me because they haven't said so aren't even profitable. Um, And a lot of them are kind of, you know, running on fumes, got a ton of investor money and everything's okay. But at some point, profit still matters. It's it's important that you're profitable. It does. I think that, that path to profitability is a really key piece of what do you take to get there. And I think that is a risk for any venture backed business, whereas like you put yourself on a treadmill of like, okay, so if I get thirty million in, then I'm gonna expect that the money the, the investor's gonna get ten X their money. How do I build that well? Um and something I think I've been on the wrong side of that treadmill as well of like, okay, growth is slowing down. How do we speed that up and how do you grow that? Um I think if I look at, there are some brands that have raised in the $80, $100 million of venture money. That's a lot of money. And it's hard. It's also hard to imagine the other side of that one of like, how do you exit that business well? Yeah. You have to go public or because at some point you're too big to buy. You know, like the, I think the movement guys, for example, were pretty smart in selling yeah. to Movado on their own early um, without, because they didn't raise, I don't think they raised any money. Um and so it gives them the degrees of freedom. And it's one of the things that Stephen and Roth have been really smart about at Rothy's and thinking about how much do we raise, when do we raise it. They they bootstrapped that business for a long time on their own before we launched. Um, it's almost like the, a healthy, I mean, it's, it like comes down to this, strangely enough, but it seems to be a sort of healthy financials still right. might Matters. make the difference. It won't be whose Instagram ad was better. No, that's exactly right. And then how lasting is that? And how do you make that? How do you make sure that that goes? I think there are... Um, you know, the fab.coms of the world that like in the, you know, maybe 
a generation of that. You know, I don't know how you look at DTC brands from a generation perspective. Like they raised, I think they raised 160 <laughs> million. I thought about fab.com. Right? They raised 160 million went to zero. They, they, they had this boom that was amazing, right? You can go chase, chase, chase. Everything's working unless the fundamentals of the business aren't working. So in some ways, a, a large part of this industry could be a bubble that only enables the really strong, healthy ones to, to stick around. I think um, Andreessen has always said um, that I think the challenge for a startup is like, can you get scale fast enough before the incumbent gets the technology? And there's probably some equivalent that on that in retail, which is, can you get big enough that you can see a path to profitability? I mean, Amazon's the best example of that, right? They've run on a penny of profit, maybe at most, right? Like he ran for years telling Wall Street back off, I'm, I'm going to keep going. And now they're a profit making machine. So I think there's a challenge for all of us of like, can you grow fast enough and build a big enough moat quickly enough that before... You know, so that you're, so you you are you have a path to profitability at some point, and the question is like, how long is that runway? Like Amazon went for years without making any money. Well, so there's, I mean, it's interesting because you you mentioned kind of do you get too big to to get to get even bought? Because mm-hmm. at some point, yeah, even they're not going to buy you. And I mean, I we were just um, looking at okay, so you've got legacy wholesale brands, not retailers, even just brands um, are now buying more conversion ads on Facebook. Like mm-hmm. they're following the DTC marketing playbook. And if in many cases you've got strong products backed by very strong marketing, which was the hallmark of really successful DTC brands. There's nothing to really stop the wholesale, formerly wholesale legacy brands to come and do this, or they'll choose to buy you instead. I think it's really hard to retrofit that back in. They've never known their customer. Like, th- There's a very different view, I think, if you, and I'm not going to pick on some of those brands, but it's really hard. It's, it's a very different view of I, if your entire, like even from my Levi's experience, if your entire view is just what's selling over the counter, but you don't know who's buying, it's really hard. Um, and it, it's, it's hard to see that kind of transition from, okay, so I'm just selling 7 million pairs of Dockers over the counter every year, but like, I don't know to whom. And like, I can, I can, a lot of large numbers, I can be pretty clear, but if I want to go build that myself, you're, you're sort of starting from scratch. Like, so while you have that legacy of like people know and love your brand, it is hard to think about building. And that's where I think some of them have been acquired, right? That's where the RX bars the world or, um, have been bought from a C, you know, food's interesting, right? From a CPG perspective, like how do I build that into my brand? But it's hard to retrofit. Okay. 2019 resolution. Got one? Yeah. I want to get, um, Rothy's on as many feet as I can in 2019. We're sort of laser focused on how do we get brand awareness. I think once she tries the shoe on, like, you know, once you own one, you own six. Like, once you get one out there, then you're like, oh, I, I love this shoe. Um, so for us, it's just let's laser focus on, you know, we're just getting started on market share. Like, is, while, while you may say, like, oh, everybody's seen Rothy's, the reality is, like, we're five, less than 5% share. Um, resolution the industry should make? Hmm. I do think your your point on profitability is probably the one of like, is this a healthy business model? Like, how do we build great businesses and make sure the business model is healthy? And I think there are a lot of great cases where they, that's working. Um, you know, one of the one of the things as a consumer or in your shoes or my shoes, like we don't really know what's going on under the covers, right? Like we don't know how profitable or like what the capital, how much are they use? Are they on fumes or are they like you know building a bank account? It's hard to know from the outside in. So I think that'll be the you know how do you think about building a sustainable business in the long run? Let's build profitable. Yeah, businesses. sustainable, right? <laughs> Great. And it could be like it doesn't have to be profitable. Like you know, Amazon proved it didn't have to be sustainable. Okay, good. I love yeah. it, Carrie. Thank you so much for being on Making Marketing. Thank you for having me. And that's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. If you like the show, then please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating, hopefully a five-star review. You can also reach out to me with your feedback. Tweet at me, I'm at Shereen Bajek, or email me, shereen at digitate.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.